Open your Bibles. Turn on your Bibles to the book of James. And as you look for James, let me give you a little bit of history about the author, the context. It's important that when you read the Bible, you understand the mind of the one who wrote, the environment in which the writing was written, and the people to who the writer was writing. All that plays a role in the overall message of the Bible. Um, <clears throat> the book of James was written by one of the 12, but well, by Jesus' brother, who happens to be James. There are uh, theologians who believe that there were probabilities that some other James, other than Jesus' brother, wrote this uh, epistle. However, uh, more, more of the theologians are inclined to believe that the writer of this letter was Jesus' brother because of the literary structure that you see with, within the letter of James and in the book of Acts, Luke, the writer, he quotes or he writes some expressions that Jesus' brother by the name of James said. And so when scholars look at the literary structure in the book of Acts in comparison to the epistle of James, they believe that it must have been Jesus' brother because the context, the literary structure sounds the same. Now, that's important for us to know. It's important for us to know who writes the letter because when you know who James is in light of who Jesus is, you understand that, David, that James' approach in his writing is not an emotional approach, but he is aware and convinced and convicted that his brother, older brother Jesus, is the king of the universe. See, I, I could write about you and I don't know you. And what I write of you is subjective. But if I know you, if I know you, my writing changes. <laughs> I feel like preaching already. Take it easy. Because, because I'm not writing out of a second-hand opinion. I'm writing out of, I lived with Jesus. This is my older brother. We would play hide-and-go-seek. I never won. <laughs> this is Jesus. So when, John, when James writes about Jesus, he writes, oh. So that's that. When did this letter, when was this letter written? It was, it was written approximately 44 after Christ. The year 44 after Christ. Now, Jesus resurrected from the dead and went back to heaven 33 after Christ. So if I were to calculate from the time Jesus ascended to the time James wrote this letter, we're talking 11 years passed by. So, so this, this epistle is considered to be one of the first writings in the New Testament. 
Sometimes those that study the Bible, we think that Matthew was the first because it was, when you look at the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, no, no. When you look at historically, it is proven that James' letter was one of the first that was written. James and 1 Thessalonians. Because that's why he talks about the rapture or being caught up. They, they thought Jesus was coming in their time. So 1 Thessalonians and James were one of the first letters or epistles written after Jesus went to heaven. That's important to know. Now, he writes this letter 11 years after Jesus went to heaven. Can I take my time? I mean, um, my bride will be out soon, I promise. <laughs> um, 11 years. Now, let me tell you what's going on within the 11 year span from Jesus' ascension to this letter of James. When Jesus rose from the dead, he goes to heaven. He tells his followers, go to Jerusalem. This is Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Go to Jerusalem because you're going to receive power after that the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Judea, Samaria, Jerusalem, to the ends of the world. Not in that order, but those places. And then Acts chapter 2, 120 people are filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. That's, 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 okay, this is, this is, this is between the first year of ascension and the ninth year, tenth year of this letter. Now look at what happens. This power of the Holy Spirit and this resurrection of Jesus Christ created a crisis in the church. Because for years, thousands of years, the church operated under a structure. You have to understand this. Before Jesus showed up in the planet, church was going on. You had sacrifice of animals. You had protocol in the sanctuary. I mean, you have one guy that represented God, and once a year he would go into the Holy of Holies and, and, and become the bridge, if you will, where God would cover the sins of man. So there was a whole process. There was a protocol of religious living and practicum. But now when Jesus dies and raises, when the Bible says that when Jesus died on the cross, several things happened. Number one, the skies got dark. It got dark at three in the afternoon. It was nighttime. Number two, the stones that were blocking the tombs cracked open. Can you imagine? And dead people started coming out the tombs. Can you imagine? But another thing happened was, the Bible says that there was a veil in the temple, in the holier place. The Bible says that the veil in the temple was broken from top to bottom because what, what was behind the veil was not supposed to be seen to the normal common eye. But only one man, once a year, had access to that place. So what happened when Jesus died? The veil was broken as to say, you no longer need someone to stand on behalf of you. 
Because when Jesus died on the cross, his death on the cross was the ultimate sacrifices that God needed to say, we don't need no more curtains. Open the curtain and let them come in. And we celebrate that. But you know what happened? Shortly after the veil was, was broken, they sewed it back up. They sold, the, they sold the curtain back up and the, the, they sold the veil. Why? Because Jesus' resurrection crossed, caused a chaos in the church. Because now it's no longer the high priest. Now it's no longer you got to come. Listen, 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 listen. When you read the book of Matthew chapter 21 and verse 12, it's going to talk about when Jesus went into the temple and he was cleaning out the money changers. And there was a business going on in the church. And when Jesus died on the cross, what he is saying is there's no more need to come bring animals. And let me tell you this. Bringing animals to the church meant business to the church. When Jesus died on the cross, Jesus' death messed up the business in the church. Because now people are saying, wait, time out. I don't need to be buying no goat and buying no lamb and buying no sheep because behold the lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. So Jesus' resurrection created havoc. Now when people, when, when the Jews would go to the, San, to, the, to the synagogue and to the Sanhedrin, when they would go to church, they weren't worshiping God. Because now, now you had Jews that turned Christians, and they didn't have Christian churches in the times of Christ. So guess what they would go on Saturday? To the synagogue. Oh, Jesus. Can, can, can you imagine? Can you imagine? You're a Jew going to, going to synagogue on Sabbath, on Saturday. And you're next to a brother who you know him for 30 years, and he comes to you, and, and, and he sits in the same seat with you for 30 years, and he's there, and you know him, and you know his mama, and you know his auntie, and you know his uncle, and you know his kids, and they all play, they all play, uh, 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 throw, the, throw the rock on the giant game, <laughs> you know. <laughs> okay, I missed that. Okay. And they're doing all that, and then the following week they come into church talking about speaking in tongues, filled with the Holy Ghost. Talk about, dude, you don't have to bring no, hey, where's your lamb and where's your goat? I don't need no more lamb because Jesus is my lamb and he paid a price. And this began a crisis in the church. Now people wouldn't go to church to worship God. People would go to church to debate whether it's Judaism or Christianism. People were debating whether it's by law or by grace. People were debating, what's this about the Holy Spirit? What's this about the baptism? I thought it was just God with the pillar of cloud. It was a chaos in the church. And the consequence of Jesus' resurrection and Jesus' death on the cross and resurrection, it caused havoc in the church. Consequence. Persecution came about. Persecution came about, and they started persecuting Christians. And 11 years in persecution, James says, I got a right. And look what he says. You know, I could do an altar call right now. I'm done. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Anybody want Jesus? <laughs> Listen, James chapter 1. Look what he says. James, a servant of God. And the Lord and of the Lord Jesus Christ. I know you notice that. If if you notice Paul, Paul's letters, Paul's letters. When you read when you read the New Testament, and you read the Pauline epistles, primarily the Pauline epistles, because the Gospels just talk about Jesus. When you read the Pauline epistles, they always have the same literary structure. Paul says, "I Paul, a bond servant of Christ." 
I, Paul, apostle of Christ. I, Paul, a slave of Christ. They always start their letter because, again, when, 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 when you read your Bible, when you read your Bible, you read your Bible, you know, you know, you know, you know so, some people only read the Bible in church, and that's really not cool. But, you know, when I, when I read the Bible, I preach the Bible, right? I preach. But in the times of the Bible, they didn't preach the Bible because in the times of the Bible, the Bible was not a Bible. The Bible was happening as they were living. So, 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 so these things called James, Corinthians, Colossians, Thessalonians, these are not preachings. These are letters. And what, what used to happen was a writer would write a letter to a church, and when the letter was written, they had, every church had what they call a, 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 a scroll reader. And the scroll reader would come to the church, and he would read a letter. It wasn't a sermon. And the Bible said, no, well, none of that. It was James, a servant of God, and to the Lord Jesus Christ. It was a letter. He was writing a letter. And so, and so, and so when you look at the literary structure of the Pauline epistles and James, there's a lot of similitude. It starts out saying, James. This is, I, I'm James. Obviously, they didn't know who it was, but James. And then he gives his position, a servant of God. Look at that. Look what it says, and of the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, I'm a servant of God who is Jesus, who, by the way, is my brother. And then, and then look what he says. I'll read it again for context. James, a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. To the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. Greetings. And then from that, that, that I mean, I'm, I'm talking about that's all the salutations he's going to give. The apostle Paul his salutations were more elastic, more longer, more content. May the grace of God and the peace of God surpass understanding be upon you. And may you be overwhelming with joy. But James don't do that. It's like, it's like James has an agenda and he wants to get to the point. Have you, have you been around people that, that, you know, they don't sugarcoat and they just get to the point? You know, you got people, listen, you know, all right, they take you out to dinner, and they, and they take you on a cruise, and, and they buy you a, a nice cake. All of that to tell you, I don't want to be with you no more. <laughs> but then you have people, they, they just get to the point, listen, 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 you, me, done, bye, get out. <laughs> this is James. Now, 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 why is James so has so much urgency in getting to the point. Look what he says. James, the servant of God, Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes who are scattered to the nations. So he's speaking to who? To a scattered church, which tells me that the letter of James is what they call in, in Bible school, was or is a circular letter. What does that mean? That although... James is the only author writing the church. He's not writing to a specific group because he's writing to 12, to the 12 tribes that are scattered, meaning that this letter managed to reach all of the 12 churches he was preaching. This is a circular letter, which means that this letter is applicable to everybody. Somebody say amen. Okay. He says, to the 12 tribes that scattered in the nations, greetings. And up until this point, it makes sense. And then he goes into verse 2. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And then he says, 
If any of you lacks wisdom, you should seek, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt. Why? Because the one who doubts is like the wave in the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all that they do. But my focus is verses 1 through 3. Verse 2, consider it pure joy when you go trials. What made James get to the point? Instead of decorating a message, he says, I got to get to the point. Why? What was going on in the life of the scattered church that James says, what I got to say, I ain't got time to play Mickey Mouse. I ain't got time to try to give you goosebumps. I'm going to get to the point because I realize that there's a persecution going on in the church right now. And what I need to give the church right now is a healing, restorative word. Listen, listen, you got, how many of you guys know what a patelillo is? That's how I feel right now under the light. I feel burnt up. Listen, 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 listen. When, when James sees the condition of the church, when James sees the persecution of the church, what he's saying is, I ain't got time to be playing around. I got to get to the point because what these people need is a word that's going to give them the strength in the middle of their persecution. And if there's something you want to be, you want to be part of a church that when you're going through struggles and when you're going through hell, there ain't nobody preaching about something that ain't contextual to your life. I go to the doctor. Listen, listen. When I'm sick, I go to the doctor. I don't go. I don't go. To the chiropractor. Because the chiropractor ain't going to heal my, 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 my sickness. When I need an operation and when I need surgery, I go to a surgeon. I don't go to a dentist. Why? And Paul, I mean, James is saying, there's a problem in this church. There's a crisis in this church. And I ain't got time trying to make things and talk about stuff and present myself. I'm James, the one who walked with Jesus, his brother. We walked on water together. We healed the deep. No, no, no. He says, that's not going to change people. I got to tell these people that in spite of what they're going through, there is hope if they only persevere in the process. So he begins addressing the need. And he goes from salutations, not to revelation, but straight into dealing with the problem. Why? Listen to me. To encourage and exhort the new and scattered Jewish Christians in the face of opposition and persecution. Because not only, not only were these people oppressed by Romans, they were being persecuted by Romans, and they were being persecuted by the church. Uh, let, me let me tell you something. I can handle, I can handle being persecuted by Romans. I can handle being persecuted by people I don't know. But can, but, but can I tell you that it sometimes it's difficult to handle being persecuted by people you love? By people that they know you? Huh? By people that you had dinners with at Denny's together? And if you're still eating at Denny's, good God Almighty, you're going to have arthritis by the time you be three, 30. Don't get out of Denny's. It's one thing to be attacked by people you don't know, but there's another thing to be attacked by people you eat with, by people that you think they love you. And this is what the church is going through. In the midst of the fact that they got the Romans antagonizing and attacking the church, they got 
old members from the Jewish temple that now attack them, and they're running, and they're scattering, and they're dispersed, and they're afraid, and they're hiding. And James says, I got a message to that church. Now, 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 let me tell you, let me tell you, because I want you to understand this, that one of the keys that you need to be victorious in the middle of your trial to the point that you can do what my theme for today is, see purpose in pressure. That you can see purpose in pressure. Here's one thing that is a non-negotiable in your walk with the Lord. And that is, you need to be a person of prayer. You need to be a man and a woman of prayer. I'm glad Peter didn't write this letter. I'm glad Jude didn't write this letter. I'm glad Bartholomew didn't write this letter. Bart- who names his son Bartholomew? <laughs> I'm glad it was James. And you know why I'm glad it was James? Because... James, historians call James. You know what? You know what? You know. You know. You know. You know. You know. Nicknames in the Bible, people had nicknames. You know what? You know what was James's nickname? His nickname was Camel Knees. Camel, Camel Knees. And here's why. Here's why, because James was such a praying man that when you would look at James's knees, they were big and calloused. And from a distance, if you took a shot of the 12 disciples of their knees, you knew who James was. Because his, he lived on his knees. Now, 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 why would they call him, why would they call him camel knees? Let's talk about the camel for a minute. First of all, camel, camels have the capacity that many other animals don't have. Camels are designed to live in the desert. Camels are designed to live in arid nomadic places. Camels have the power to resist the heat of the desert in the day and the cold of the night. In I'll be like preaching. I'm taking it easy. Suave sit, suavemente. <laughs> they have the power to resist the desert storm. And camels, camels, when it gets hot, Camels have humps on their backs, and what they got in their back is water in reserve so that when they're going through a heatful moment, they don't got to go crazy and get panic attacks. They just go to their reserves, and from the inside, waters begin to flow and satisfy their thirst. I feel like preaching. Not only that, but their knees are so big because camels spend most of their time on their knees so that when the desert storm comes, they don't move. They stay on their knees and they stay planted. God is looking for a church that in the middle of pain and in the middle of stronghold, you don't run and quiver, but you can stand firm in the promises of God so that when the desert storm come, you can stand firm on God's promises and get down on your knees. Now listen, listen, listen. They call them camel knees. Listen, I'd rather you call me camel knee than call me bougie. I'd rather you call me camel knees 
and then call me that guy got that guy got swagger because swagger comes and goes but when you start when you start living a life of prayer when you start living a life of prayer listen listen I feel like preaching when you're a praying man you ain't got no time to be making stuff up when you're a praying man you ain't got no time to decorate a message when you're a man of prayer you got a word from the Lord and when you get up on your knees you can say this is what the Lord says in the midst of your pain in the midst of your heartache I got a word from God because I heard God while I was praying a praying man a praying man will see purpose and pressure a praying man a praying woman will see purpose and pressure but if you don't pray the first pressure you get oh my god oh my god if, if, if you're not a plain person, the first door that closes in your face, you go crazy. If you're not a praying person, the first time he walked out on you, you go crazy. If you're not a praying person, the first thing that happens down your road, you go crazy, you quiver, you want to run away. But when you are a praying person, when you are a man and a woman of prayer, you know that all things work together for the good of them that love the Lord, to them who are called according to his purpose. When you're a praying person, you're not afraid because though they may come to your right and they come to your left, they can't touch you because the power of God abides in you. Only a prayer man can see purpose and pressure. Now what is James teaching us today? Three things and we're leaving. What is James teaching us in verses 1 through 3 of chapter 1 of James? He's teaching us number one. Write this down. That trials are destined. Trials are destined. What does that mean, Pastor? That everybody's going to go through trials. That trials is not only for bad people. That's what they did Job. Job's friends told Job, dude, what you're doing wrong, because if you'd have been doing right, you shouldn't be going through this. Because people have a habit of judging you by the trials you go through. But let, let me tell you this. There's a difference between trial, there's a difference between testing, and there's a difference between foolishness. Some of the people that go through bad stuff, they just go through it because they're foolish. Other people go through it because of testing. And other people go through it because of trials. Now, what's the difference? I'm glad you asked. Foolishness is what you do because you want to satisfy and gratify your personal desires of the flesh. So please don't ask me to pray for you for your foolishness. Stop being a fool and man up and serve the Lord. Can I get an amen? But then you got testing. You got testing. And testing is what God uses you to take you from one dimension of faith to another dimension of faith. I've never seen nobody graduate from one year class to another year class and you don't go through no test. You ain't going to graduate to high school if you don't go through a test. You ain't going to make it to college till you pass the entry exam. Because if you want to go to the next level, you got to be willing to go through the test. But the time out, time out, time out. Don't get hyped. But the test is based on what you know. Yeah. Can somebody say amen? Yeah. 
at the end of your school year, they're going to test you, not about what they didn't teach you, but they're going to test you on what you know. So when you're going through a test, God is going to use the things you've been through, and he's going to say, everything I taught you, and everything you heard, and everything you've been through, now it's time to go through the test. That's why you better not mess up in class when God is trying to teach you something, so that when the test comes, you can finish the test. So foolishness, that's your prerogative. Testing is based on what you know. But trials, trials has nothing to do because of what you know. Trials have to do because God, <laughs> because God wants to get the glory out of your perseverance because God wants to get the glory out of your faithfulness the reason why the church was scattered in the book of James it wasn't because they were in sin they were serving God they were living for Jesus they were honoring God this was not a test and this was not foolishness this was a trial that came to God's people because God's people said I'm not gonna bow down I'm gonna serve Jesus I'm gonna honor God and I'm here to tell you today if you're going through your trial that means you're doing something right and James is coming to tell you today count it all joy when you go through trials because in the end God's gonna get the glory and you gonna be victorious listen 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 trials are destined we all gonna come through trials but the problem is that we don't know when we're gonna come to them we all gonna go through it the question is when which is why this is me which is why prayer is important because since I don't know see if God would have sent me shoot me a text Hey, Gabby, in uh, two and a half months, a trial's coming your way. I'm going to get ready. Right? If God shoot me, throw me a little Snapchat. Gabby, yo, it's coming. I get ready. But when it comes to trials, God don't shoot me a text. God don't Snapchat me. God don't IG me. Is that a phrase, IG me? I'm trying to be, I'm trying to take an Instagram, you okay? <laughs> he don't do that. We will never have a preview of when it's coming, but we do know that it's coming. Now, why, why, why prayer is important? Prayer is important, why? Because since I don't know when they're coming, prayer is the tool that God uses to prepare me for when it comes. This is why the Bible says in Matthew 26, 41, it says, watch and pray. You got it? Watch and pray so that what? So that you do not fall into temptation the spirit is willing willing but the flesh is weak there's something that happens every time you pray listen to me every time you pray oh god i'm gonna say it i mean every time you pray praying folk don't allow things to come their way by chance because when you pray something happens by default everybody that prays watches you watch and pray. If you're a praying man, you on the alert. If you're a praying woman, you're watching. That's why when you don't pray, that's when you let, that's when things come in your house and stuff comes in your life and things come in your environment and people break your heart and mess with your home because you're not praying. But when you pray, the spirit in you opens the pupil of your eye so that now you can see behind. So even though she looks good on the outside, when you're a praying person, you can watch that behind the makeup there's a demon. 
When you're a praying person, you can watch that behind this nice chest he got and the little 1.8 rider he got, he's a demon in disguise. Because you're praying, but God gives you the capacity to see beyond sight. You want, you want the enemy out of your, out of your life? Stop praying, see what happens. You want the enemy out of your life? Stop praying. See what happens. Jesus was praying for 40 days and for 40 nights. And look what happened while he was praying. While he was praying, the devil showed up. Showed up three times. And when he showed up, he came with word. Uh-huh. 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 He came with word. And with word, Jesus, time out, time out, time out. I know it sounds like what I said, but I can see behind the word that it ain't who it is. This is the devil. Yo, where you at? Let's go. That it is the devil. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to say, devil, get there behind me. I'm going to say, devil, you're a liar. When you know, uh, when you're a man of prayer and you're a woman of prayer, it might look right. It might look holy. It might look nice. It might look right. But you can see behind it. Look at when you're a praying man, your prayer will give you perspective of the pressure and the hell you're going through. So what is James teaching us? He's teaching us that we don't know when they're coming, but it's coming. And so what we got to do is be prepared in prayer. You got to be prepared, church. You got to be prepared. Number one, trials are destined. Number two, write this down. Trials are developing you. Oh, God, use me. Some of us, we say, we say it all the time, Lord, use me. No, you don't want God to use you. Because to use you, he's going to break you. Oh, Lord, use me to the ministry. First problem you have, you want to quit. Oh, Lord, here I am. If you can use anything, Lord, you can use Oh, You want me to use you? I got to break you first. Yeah. Trials develop you. Trials teach us how to respond, listen to me, with praise. Look what the Bible says. What it says? It says, verse 2, consider it pure joy. Look what it says. Brethren, count it all joy when you go through diverse trials. The key word that lets us know that this church was a praising church was the fact that James calls them brethren. And that's the word that affirms that they were praisers. You know why? Because the response of the redeemed, the response of the brothers of the faith, the response of the redeemed is to rejoice. Rejoice is the response of the redeemed. That's why Paul says in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 4, he says, rejoice and again I say rejoice. That's why, that's why, that's why, that's why, that's why, that's why. That's why. In the church is so important because when you come to church in your trial and I come to church in my trial and we sit beside each other and while we're singing the songs there's something about my trial and your trial in the middle of our praise that tells one another we've been through hell and back but we're still here lifting up the name of the that's why when I come to church I don't come to church to look cute. I don't come to church to get a girl. I don't come to church to show off my shit. When I come to church, I come to church to tell the devil, you gave me your best shot, but I'm still here. You threw everything you threw at me, but I'm still coming to church. I might not have what I need, but I have what I got, and God gets the praise in spite of it all. So how do I react in trials? Rejoice. 
You have to, and, and I'm glad, I'm glad, I'm glad James says, count it all joy. And he didn't say count it all happiness. Because sometimes, well, first of all, happiness is circumstantial. The root word of happiness is happen. So there are people that are only happen, happy when things good happen to them. If bad things happen, they're not happy. So happiness is circumstantial. Joy is character. Because Rome, Galatians chapter 5 verse 22 says that the fruit of the Spirit is joy. So when, how many, how many of you guys, 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 how many of you guys have, have ever had tears of joy? Uh-huh. It's, it's like an oxymoron. Either you're happy or you're not, right? Either you're glad or you're not. But tears of joy says this. I got the outside symptoms of someone that's upset. I got the outside symptoms of someone that's broken. I got the outside symptoms of someone that's hurting. But because I got a joy on the inside, I might be crying on the outside. But this joy that I got, the world didn't give it to me and the world can't take it away. We have to do what James says. One, pray. Two, count it all joy. Now that phrase, count it all, to count it all, is to think, to ponder, to consider. Hear that? He says, count it all. Count what? All the hell you've been through. Count it, count it. This, that, this, the other. Persecution, hiding in caves, catacombs, being rejected, my friend. Count it all, and after you count it all, all of that's gonna equal joy. One plus one is two. All the hell you go through in God equals joy. He says, count it all joy. James is saying, Start thinking about the trials that made you cry, that stressed you up. But then he's saying, after you count it, have a heart of thankfulness. Because of all the difficult things you've gone through, none of them have destroyed you. <laughs> see, see, some of us, we count all the hell we go through, and that's all we do. We count, and we count. And here I am, Pastor. I'm here again. And Pastor, two years, Pastor. I'm struggling, Pastor. And two years, struggling, Pastor. And what you haven't noticed, that it's been two years, and you're still alive to testify. Instead of counting it all to be depressed, count it all for joy. Say, man, I should have lost my mind, but I'm still coming to church. I should have had my breakdown, but I'm still coming to church. And when you count it all joy, the joy of the Lord is yours. And I count it all joy. See, when the enemy is involved in your trials and tribulations, he desires to shift you as wheat, to devour you. But if you're still sitting in this place, regardless of what you've gone through, you ought to give God praise. Not because of what he's going to do, but because of the fact that you have begun everything you've been through and you're still standing and you're still witnessing and you're still serving the Lord. That's enough reason to give God glory. You have to be thoughtful and you have to be thankful. Thoughtful in the mind and thankful in the heart. I told you that three things and I'm closing. Number one, trials are destined. Number two, trials are developing you. Number three. 
our trials teach us how to remain in place. Verse 3 says, the trying and the testing of our faith. And this is producing what we all need. Everybody in this room, if there's something we all need, is this. We need patience. Somebody say patience. Patience is a key word in this verse. You know, I, 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 I don't like going to doctors. I don't like it. I just don't like it. Yeah, I don't like it. So if you're a doctor, um, I like you, but I just don't like going to doctors. Because I've, I've made appointments to see a doctor. And I've called, hey, I want to make an appointment to see my doctor, right? And I go, and I call, and we schedule it for 9 o'clock in the morning. And if, you, and if you're like me, I'm on the clock. You told me at 9, I'm going to be there. As a matter of fact, I'm going to be there at 8.15. No, 8.45. 8.45. Because I want to be the first one in and the last one, and the first one out. So I say, Haley, I want to make an appointment with the doctor. 9 o'clock in the morning. Okay, 9 o'clock it is. Uh, can you confirm the time? 9 o'clock it is. I'll be there, okay. I'm there at 9 o'clock. And that idiot of a doctor shows up at 9.50. And I'm like, um, 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 ma'am, I, I had a 9 o'clock appointment. Oh, I'm so sorry. The doctor's running late. 9.20, uh, when is he coming? Is he stuck in Dunkin' Donuts? I mean, we made an appointment. You made an appointment. To t and you told me he's going to be at 9. I made it. Where is he? Because it ain't for free. He's going he to charge my, 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 medical, my medical card. Where, where is he? And he comes strolling 10 minutes to 10. Now, now, during those 45, 50 minutes, I got two options. Option number one, cause havoc in the office. And walk out with an attitude, this idiotic doctor, I ain't never coming back and stop posting. Don't ever go to this doctor. He is horrible. He's the devil's cousin. That's the option I have. Or the other option is I have to wait, which is why they call us patients, because we need patience to be a patient. Because at the end of the day, at the end of the day, the doctor doesn't need to be healed. I need to be healed. The doctor doesn't need medication. I need medication. And so when you, when, you're, when you understand that trials, God uses trials to give you patience. And you're, God, but why don't you come now? You say, call unto me, Jeremiah 33 and 3. Call unto me, and, I'm gonna, and I've been calling, and I've been calling, and I've been calling, and I don't see nothing happening. And where is God? Are you like that doctor that takes an hour to come? No. While you're waiting, here's what you got to do. You got to understand that you've been waiting 40 minutes, and you still haven't died. You waited 40 minutes, and you're still alive. You waiting 40 minutes so the God that made an appointment with you has given you the power to withstand the process so that your patient level can grow. Can grow. That's why the trials teach us patience. Teach us patience. And some of us, we're this close to getting the breakthrough. But we get desperate. We get desperate. And we walk out the doctor's office. Talk about, I'm going somewhere else. To make another 45-minute wait. Listen to me. Patience is the capacity to endure. The capacity to remain in place under load and under pressure. 
if we only could remain in place under pressure. Oh, God have mercy. That's what James says. Listen, 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 listen. Count it all joy. Don't be breaking out and leaving the church and backsliding. No, no, count it all joy. I know it's hard. I know the pressure's rough. I know you want to get up and go, but count it, count it. Count it all joy. There are those today that feel as if your load that you're carrying is greater than you. There are people here today that say, Lord, I can't take this load another day. But God says he will never give you a load greater than what you can bear. And Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, he says, No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. So, so the question is, the question is, how do you see your pressure? Because trials are pressures. A trial is pressure. A trial is weight. And the question is, how do you see pressure? Sydney, come here. How, how, how do you see pressure? How do you see weight? A couple of years ago, A couple of years ago, my former pastor, Pastor Nino, he paid for all of the pastors to go to the gym. And I had membership in a gym. And I was hype. I was real hype. I'm like, I'm going to gym. Mm, 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 mm. Going to gym. Free membership. And when I went to the gym, right? I went to LA, uh, P PF Fitness, Planet, Planet, pa Planet Fitness. See, see. <laughs> I was like, P the pa Pastor Planet Fitness, get it right. What's the Planet Fitness? And I remember when I, went in, when, I, when I went to Planet Fitness, I remember I was so hyped because when you walked in, you had this nice little uh, 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 desk entrance with a with, 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 with little uh, uh, Chipotle look on the outside. It was really nice, really nice. And, I went, and to my left, I saw these vending machines with Gatorade and Powerade and water. And I was like, yo, that's hot. They had all flavors of Gatorade, all flavors. I was like, nice. And then when I looked to the right, they had a big, a big red ball where they do like, like aerobics or something. I was like, oh, well, nice. And then, and then when, I, when I looked behind the counter, they had a bunch of treadmills. And these treadmills, in front of the treadmills, there were some TVs. I was like, oh, my God, this is so cool. I can watch Family Guy and run at the same time. All right, <laughs> So, so, so when, I, when I walked in, I remember, I remember I walked in, I was so hyped. We had, I went to the locker, I took off my clothes, you know, my, 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 my outfit, went to the clothes. And then I saw they had a P, what is it, PF, PF Chinese, Planet Fitness, Planet Fitness shirts. And said, wow, I want to get me a t-shirt because, you know, you, you got to have a t-shirt if you go to Planet Fitness because I want everybody to know that you were. <laughs> and and, 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 and I, listen, listen, I went and I toured the entire, they have bathrooms, they have showers. And I went in every single place of that place, except for this room called the weight room. Because when I looked at the weight room from a distance, I said, mm. all I saw was dumbbells and bars and weight. I said, no, nah, I don't want to do that. I want to be in the treadmill, you know, nice and cute like this. Look what the Lord has done. I was like, 
watching my little TV and, and getting my little Gatorade and, and, and just do my little, little workout exercise to try to look cute and collective and not sweat a break. See, but to me, to me, to me, to me, to me, I, 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 I went to this, to this place and I was not attracted by the weight room simply because it's called, oh God, I've mercy, Jesus. It's called, it's called, it's called, it's called the weight room. It's called a weight room, and it has weight. So, so when I would see that room, I was, I was like, nah, that's not for me. That's not for me. Why? Because my perspective of the weight room wasn't good. I had a better perspective of the treadmill. I had a better perspective jumping rope. I had a better perspective going to get a dollar. Pam, get my Gatorade. Blah, go back. I, 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 you know, you know, I, I almost signed to the Tybo classes too. Talk about. I mean, I, I was ready to do it all. I was not excited about the weight room, but when he went to the gym, he was not excited about the treadmill. He was not excited about the water. He was not excited about the shower. What excited him was the weight room. And now, and now, and now, and what, what, what did he do? The first place he went to, he went straight to the weight room because he wanted to see how much weight. Now, 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 stop, stop, stop pumping. See, I can't do that. I can't do that. I, you know why? Because my perspective of lifting up weight is something that I don't like to do. When I look at weight lifting, when I look at weight lifting, I think of, nah, it's going to hurt no girl on my back. When he looks weight lifting, he's saying, these arms, which look like horses, these arms, these arms are going to get stronger. Lift. So every time he's looking at the weight, he's saying it might be heavy right now. But this weight is going to make me stronger tomorrow. Give me a mic. Give me a mic. I, I got to preach with power. Give me a mic. 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 Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So when he looks at him, when he looks at the weight, what he's seeing is it might look bad to the common eye, but my perspective of this weight is going to make me stronger. Now, when we both come out the gym at the same time and you look at me, uh-huh. And you look at him. I look like an employee, but he looks like he did his workout. Why? Because he's got proof that he's been lifting the weight. Turn around, turn around. He's got proof that he's been working out. He's got the evidence that he's been going through pain. He's got the proof that it's been rough, that it's been tough, but he's been able to pull the weight to the glory of God. What the writer is saying, where's my weight? Where's my weight? Let me, let me, get, let me get a bar. Let me get a weight. Let me get a weight. What the, wire, the writer is saying, count it all joy when you go. Put this up. Put this up. I might not can lift you, but God won't give me something I can't handle. And it might be rough, but he who has begun... The good work in me is faithful to complete it to the day of glory. He's faithful. He's faithful. So while I'm lifting it up, I got joy in my heart. While I'm lifting it up, I'm blessing the name of Jesus. While I'm lifting it up, it's making me better to the glory of God. So church, I come to tell you, in the midst of your pain, give God glory. In the midst of your pressure, give God glory. In the midst of your pain, give God praise.
Hallelujah. So how do you see pressure? How do you see weight? Let me tell you, God has a weight room for every, for every one of y'all. There's a weight room waiting for you right now. Don't run from it. Walk in it. Don't run from it. Get in it. And get ready to use muscles you've never used before. And get ready to do things you've never done before. If you don't want to be used by God, stay in the treadmill. But if you want to be used by God, get them dumbbells by the name of Jesus and lift up the weight to the glory. James says, count it all joy when you go through pressure. Count it all joy. It might be painful right now. Paul says, these afflictions will not compare to the exceeding joy that I will have in the end. And so right now I might be pushing. Right now my veins might be in pain. Right now, my inside said, Gabby, don't do it one more. Right now, you might feel like the church that was scattered. I, I was better off going to the Sanhedrin. I was better off going to the synagogue and being a Jew. But ever since I became a Christian, it's just been hell and back. Ever since I decided to live right, it's been difficult for me. I was better off not having Jesus. But since the moment I gave up my life, it's just been pressure and pressure and pressure and pressure. But I've come to tell you, don't let go of the weight. God ain't going to give you something you can't handle. Don't quit up on God because God will not give up on you. Keep on pushing. Keep on pushing. Keep on pushing so that you can become the person God has called you to become. Stand upon your feet. soda machine area and your little tie bow stuff and you're going to come here and look at pressure from God's perspective and you're going to look at your pain from God's perspective and you're going to look at your situation and you're going to start living out tears of joy that while you're crying you know where you're going that while you're crying you know why you're going through this this is not a trial that you're going through because you was foolish but this is the trial that God has allowed you to go through so that his glory may be gl perfect in your life. So at the count of three, if you need to come to God's weight room and make the exchange of perspective, see things God's way and not yours, I want you to come out your seat faster than a rabbit comes out of home. And I want you to find a way to get to the altar. Say, God, I'm willing to pull the weight all over this room. At the count of three, you're going to come out on a parade. Ready? One, two, three. Come out, want to pray. Come, come. Great. 